0: John chapter 15, beginning in verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all things that I heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. These things I command you, that you love one another." How I mean, you know Jesus literally just said that just saying I love you with no corresponding action really is an empty statement? Because if I really love somebody, then there is a commitment and there's a corresponding action that follows that. There, there's evidence of that commitment. He says the greatest love that you and I could give would be to lay down our life for a friend. Turn to your left just a little bit to chapter 10, and beginning in verse. 11, Jesus says this, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. How many know that's literally what Jesus did? He gave his life for you and I. Now read down a little bit further with me. But he who is a hireling and not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hiring flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, I know my sheep, and am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so the Father, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. The other sheep I have, and other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, that they will hear my voice. And there will be one flock and one shepherd. Therefore my Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again." No one takes it from me, but I lay it down myself. I have the power to lay it down, and I have the power to take it again. This command I have received from my Father. Look at verse nineteen. Therefore, there was division again among the Jews because of these sayings. How I many know oh, Jesus knew how to cause controversy, and even today. He causes a lot of controversy. But I want you to see this. It says, Nobody, I'm choosing to lay my life down. Nobody is making that choice but me. He stood before Pilate, and Pilate said, Don't you know that I have the power to crucify you? And Jesus literally said, "No, You would have no power over me unless it was given to you from heaven, from above. He said, you, you can't influence me. And, and, and change anything, but about that, you don't have any authority here. And uh, it says from that moment, he made that declaration to Pilate, from that moment it says he tried to get, let him go, did everything he could, the Bible says, to let him go. Look at your outline with me if you would. Every day we are faced with an innumerable amount of choices. Anybody agree? This seems amazing. We're given a virtual plethora of options and directors when it comes to making our choices. There are those around us who choose to live only for the moment. Yesterday I was driving and I saw a brand new billboard for Pepsi. The new Pepsi slogan is this. What are you waiting for? Live for now. Everything is about now. Everything is about you and me and living for the now of our life. Not thinking past the moment. So much of our life and our culture today is caught in the moment. Caught in the experience. And I think about that a lot. Of it. We are an adrenaline society. We like the rush. Amen. And we all get caught up in it, which is why you got to watch the video of me videotaping myself, because skiing down the hill. And then we, Every now and then we pay the price for that. Amen. <laughs> Getting caught up in the now. Yeah. But that's the voice of our culture. The voice of our culture is live for the now. But how many know the gospel offers us something just a little bit broader than that? A little bit larger than that? With all the influences and opportunities of life that are before us, I think there's still a question that we must ask and answer, each of us within our own hearts. What is truly worth living for? And what is truly worth dying for? We just read Jesus said, greater love has no one than he would lay down his life for his friends. Jesus said, if you truly have a friend and you truly love that person, the greatest display of your love is that if you were called upon or had the opportunity or there was a necessity before you to die that they might live, that would be the greatest display or proof of your love for a friend. So what is worth living for and what is worth dying for? I know this is not the cheeriest subject matter to examine today or any day. Amen. But it is a life question that I believe we must ask ourselves. The very foundational core of our Christian faith is there is a God who believes that we, His creation, were not only worth living for, but we were worth the very life of His Son. You and I, every one of you in this room, you were worth dying for. When Jesus was speaking to His disciples in John 15, that's exactly what He said when He was reading in John 10. He's declaring to those that are hearing Him, You are the sheep, I am the shepherd, and you are worth dying for. Amen? Now this morning, I'm really praying. I have been asking the Lord... And uh, I, I don't know. Maybe it's, it, it's an epiphany with age or something that happens and things that, you know, experiences that you happen as you age or get older. But looking back and examining after being in the ministry over 30 years and all this, really going back to some core issues in our life, in my life, if you would, and looking at things and, and how we look at ministry, how we perceive things, how we do ministry, and what is the most important thing that we can do in serving the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I'm asking God to work some real changes on the inside of me. And you've heard me say some things over the last several months. I've been challenging just the simplicity how simple we've made Christianity. And I don't believe it is that simple. I don't believe it is as easy as it is as casual. I agree with like what David Platt, pastor, said. And he wrote the book, Radical Rescuing Your Faith from the American Gospel. I agree with him that some of the things we've done are just Christian superstition. In the way we presented the gospel, there is a price to serving Christ. It will cost you something. Luke 14, when Jesus saw the multitudes following him, he stopped and says, Hey, if anybody's going to come after me, let him sit down and count the cost. And for whatever reason, we don't explain the cost of Christianity. It'll cost you something. I I remember years ago when I was going to Bible school, and... uh, I, I worked at the cable company. I, I worked, at that time, it was NorCal Cablevision in Yuba City. And uh, I got a job with them to go to, while I was going to Bible school. And there was a young man there that I worked with, and I just kept witnessing to him while, while I'm uh, working there. And for a year and a half, uh, this guy, and, and it turns out he was raised by his mom in church and everything, and he just totally backslid, never really made a choice to live for God, was raised in the Nazarene church in faith, and that's all good. But, but he himself had made the choice not to live for God. Well, now he's married, he has two small children, and uh, every day, if, if we got done early, we would talk on the radio, we'd give each other our address, and he would come by, and I would just preach at this guy. I mean, preach! And he'd sit there and he'd listen. And I'd give altar calls and he would not respond. And I said, Wyman, why, why do you keep coming around? Oh, Don, I, I just feel, it just feels good when you talk. You're not supposed to feel good, you're supposed to get saved. And then one day, we, we, we were at this apartment complex in East Marysville, and and and. And something just rose up on the inside of me and I'd had enough. And he had told me that, you know, he knew he went to Sunday school, he knew about the Lord and, and that, but he just had never lived for God and made the choice. I said, isn't that awesome that you had an opportunity to hear the truth and to know the truth? And you made the choice not to live for Christ. But I said, your wife and your children have never heard the Gospel. I said, if the Lord comes back or you die and they die, without ever hearing the Gospel, I said, you're going to stand before God and you're going to watch your wife and your children go to hell. And they're going to look at you and say, Daddy, you never told us the truth. That Saturday, he came to a men's breakfast and got saved. Amen. Some you save with fear. But see, today, we don't want to be that confrontational. We don't want to speak the truth in love. We, we don't want to boldly declare. Because see, for a year and a half, I, I mean, I, I would preach. Sometimes 45 minutes, I'm preaching at this guy. The anointing of God. Spit, flying, sweating, everything. He goes, oh man, that's awesome. Dude, respond. Oh no, I just like you. I like the way it feels when you talk. Oh, come on. But then, he gives his life to Christ. His wife and his kids come to church. Get saved. Three months later, three months later, his wife walked out the door, left him and the kids, Says, I can't take this. Left him and walked out. Left. Gone. Never came back. And Wyman made the choice to stay with God and raise his kids and raise his family. But see, it cost him something to serve God. His wife says, I can't do that. I can't. And she went off and took off with another guy and just left. Abandoned him and her kids because of the gospel. And he didn't give in and go chase her, he just stayed with God. And, and he walked for years living a, a single life. And then God gave him a beautiful wife, Allison, and, and restoration. Just amazing. And he's been saved all this time. In fact, he came up, I think it was at our 20th anniversary. We came up and played guitar for us. You've heard me talk about Wyman. and that, An amazing man. And, uh, but we never talk about the cost of serving God. But think about it. Again, the very foundation of our core is that you and I were worth dying for, that Jesus made that choice. Look at the inside of your outline, if you will, with me. What's the value of a soul? What's the value of a soul? And this morning it is my prayer for each one of us. I'm praying today that God does something that rocks you to your core. I don't want you to just hear a message today. I want God to stir something inside of each one of us. If you're saved or not saved. If you've confessed Christ or not, then if if you've never accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, never confessed Him, then I believe today is your day of salvation. I believe God didn't bring you here just for you to hear something nice, to do something religious, but I believe Jesus ordains divine encounters for our life. And you're here today for a purpose, and that's because God loves you, and because you were worth dying for. Before this service isn't over, we would be glad to pray with you. So let me ask you this, how costly is it to redeem a soul? How much would God be willing to pay to do so? We all know the answer to that if you've read that very much. He was willing to pay the life of His Son to redeem us. Listen to me, to be a true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ is to know and to understand why Jesus died. To be a true believer... And I believe, like I said a few moments ago when I was talking about water baptism, is that the Philippian jailer, here he is, and he's freaking out in that moment Paul and, and Silas are in the Philippian jail in Acts 16. They have been tortured. They've been in prison for casting the devil out of a lady and messing up the economy of the people who were making money by a familiar spirit. Paul cast, it says that for several days this lady's following Paul and Silas, said, these, the, these are the great men of God. These are the power of God. And it says, Paul, one day being totally disturbed and fed up turned around and cast the devil out of the lady, and she lost the ability to operate by that familiar spirit, which is how the merchants were making money. And so they got mad, so now because they had a recession immediately... They have Paul persecuted, but then Paul kept quiet, and then when he was tortured and persecuted, he's in the jail down there. And this goes back to where we talked about being seated in Christ. See, when you know who you are in Christ, and you're going through that position, and you know how to rest in Him, that's the only way you'll be able to lift your hands at the midnight hour, in the darkest dungeon, begin to sing praises unto God. And at that moment, they begin to worship God. All the chains fall off, all the prisoners are set free, all the doors are open. And the guard comes down, the jailer comes down, he goes, oh my goodness, and he's in fear. And he goes, what do I have to do to be saved? Because if they find out what's going on here, I'm about to lose my life. So his idea of being saved wasn't just giving his life to Christ. I'm about to be put to death. What do I have to do? God saved you, but if you guys leave, I'm going to be dead. But they go to his house, and he preaches the gospel, and when, they, when he fully hears the message of Christ, they, him and his household agree and desire to be baptized. Amen? So, there is that no greater... Listen, Jesus said that there was no greater love than to lay down one's life for a friend. And there are many heroic acts and deeds done to save a life. But what about saving a soul? We hear about that all the time. I'm going to share one with you in just a moment, but people who do great deeds and help somebody, rescue somebody, do all this stuff, all the reality shows, you watch the clips, they have the videos of these people doing the stuff. That's awesome. Amen. But where's the clips about somebody who paid the price to save a soul? Amen. And what's more valuable, just our life or our eternal soul? And there was a heroic event that just happened last Sunday, uh, there was a plane crash involving five graduates from ORU as they were heading to an Acquire the Fire rally. The plane crashed into a field, skidded 200 feet, and hit the trees bursting into flames. Three of the five passengers were killed instantly in the crash. Two were still alive. Hannah Luce, who is Ron Luce's son, a few weeks ago we had Joel Johnson here. He travels with Acquire of the Fire and, and uh, ministers with Ron and them. And uh, so Ron Luce's daughter was in the plane. And Austin Anderson, a 27-year-old Marine veteran who had recently served two tours of duty in Iraq. And and all of these were graduates of ORU University. And Hannah and uh, Austin had just graduated on May 5th from ORU. And they're on on their way to an Acquire Fire event. And uh, the reports are, though, that he made the choice to pull her from the flames, knowing he was risking his own life in the process. He then helped her to the road where they flagged down help. Then after arriving at the hospital, he died from the trauma of having burns over 90% of his body. And she wasn't able to speak because of being on a respirator, but she wrote on a piece of paper Austin, save me. Austin, save me. Austin, save me. Now I'm thinking about this. The plane crashes, you're there. And I'm just wondering. However, there, there, there's no account. We'll never know from him whether he was thrown from the plane, whether he was able to crawl out of the plane, and what the events were. So if I... I'm not going to try to take a lot of liberal license here. But in this area, imagine he has somehow made it outside the plane. The plane is on fire. And maybe he hears a voice inside. And something in him has to push past his fear. Maybe the flame, and, and maybe he has to pass through flames to get to where the voice is. I don't know. Maybe the heat. I mean, a jet fuel fire. I mean, the plane and all that stuff, the fire around that, it is intense. And so something, whatever it is, he's already safe. But maybe hearing that voice, he, he can't just walk away and be safe hearing that voice. So he has to, knowing that there's peril to his life in doing so. That whatever he's already suffered, that to go after somebody, to put his life, he's going to have to endure more than what he's already endured. Are you with me? In order to try. What? In order to try. No guarantee. But in order to try to make a difference, to save a life, he's going to have to endure more than what he's already endured. Are you with me? And as we read, Jesus said, greater love has no man than to lay down his life for a friend. Austin made that choice. This was a heroic act to save a life. But what about saving a soul? Every person you and I know or meet in this life that is not accepted, believed in, received, and given their life to Christ is in danger of the fires of hell. Let me just put you like this. If you're here today and you're a Christian, let me ask you, do you really believe in hell? Put your hand up. I believe that there is a literal hell. Okay, so if you believe that there is a literal hell, and as John Muncy talked and we went through some things, then this is a place that the Bible said that was a judgment that is reserved for the devil and his angels, but because the devil has been able to influence humanity and caused them to break out in rebellion against God the same way He did, then they are now becoming, He's taking them as partakers into His judgment. And the Bible says that hell has been enlarged, because originally it was reserved for the devil, and the third of the fallen angels that he deceived in heaven. But then because he's been able to deceive humanity, He's taking a a, a vast host with Him into this place called hell. And you can read it in in Revelation chapter 20 after the great throne of judgment. So you and I just said we believe in a literal hell. That this is a place where people will endure the flames of torment and judgment and darkness for all of eternity. And so that means it would be the same... That you and I, if we were Austin, we are out of the plane. But we can hear the cry of someone alive in torment in the flames. And something in us can't leave them in that condition. Like him, he couldn't stay there and leave somebody in that place, so he had to move to try to rescue them, to save them. Are you with me this morning? I ordered Pastor Francis's book on erasing hell, and uh, like I said, I, I've, I've been I've been asking God to rock me at my core. We, we have something today called comfortable casual Christianity, and and, and all that matters is all that matters. I, I meet all kinds of people when you try to witness to people that say they're saved, and the only thing that matters is is that they're living their own little Christian life for themselves. I'm a good little Christian. No, you're not. You're a deceived unbeliever. Amen. Amen. But when I get to chapter 3, when I get to chapter 3 in the book, this is about what Jesus actually said about hell. And I want you to listen to Pastor Francis' comments as he writes here. He says, As I write this chapter about hell, I'm sitting in the middle of a busy Starbucks. Every time I look up from my computer screen, I see that I'm surrounded by thirsty customers racing to the counter to fuel up on lattes and iced teas and mochas. They're happy, busy, enjoying life, laughing, chatting, and of course texting. Two moms look as if they just got done jogging and sit next to me, digging into each other's lives. Another couple just left. They were all over each other, a typical young couple without a care in the world. The girl last in line looks sad, really sad. It makes me wonder what just happened in her life. And what about the employees? Are they happy? Some look that way, but others don't. Joy, laughter, coffee, jazz, texting, talking, flirting, friendship, depression, and the hope to be freed from it one day. This is life. I love it, and so do they. The place buzzes with life. Meanwhile, I sit here reading passage after passage after passage, which says that some of these people are going to hell. It sickens me to say that I can't explain how conflicted I feel right now. There are at least a dozen people within 10 feet of me right here, right now, that may end up in the agony that I'm studying. What do I do? Do I keep writing? Keep studying? Should I bag this whole book thing and start building relationships with them? How can I believe these passages and sit here silently? I know that some of you have faced the same conflict. Even as you're reading this, you're probably, there are probably people within a few feet of you who may also go to hell. What will you do? Could it be that the Lord wants you to put the book down? Coming face to face with these passages on hell and asking these tough questions is a heart-wrenching process. How many would agree? None of us are comfortable right now. We shouldn't be. Because of this next statement. It forces me back to a sobering reality. This is not about doctrine. It's about destinies. It's not about what you and I believe, my friend. It's about the destiny of every man, woman, and child that you will ever meet or know in your life. There are eternal destinies at stake. And when Jesus says, greater love has no man than to lay down his life for his friends, Jesus knew when He came, Andrew knew, or Austin knew when he was on the outside of that plane, there was no way that Hannah could save herself. She was caught in a predicament beyond her ability to do anything about it. It would take somebody other than her to put themselves in peril and experience even greater pain than they had already experienced to go in and endeavor to make a difference and maybe save her. And Jesus, looking at you and I, He looked at humanity as a whole, and He sees us standing on the precipice of falling into an eternal hell. And He says, Lord, there is no way that a man or a woman or a person, anyone can save themselves. Unless somebody enters the fire on their behalf, unless somebody enters that place on their behalf, they are not coming out. And so he chose, and my Bible even says that he went to hell on our behalf. And he took back the keys of death, hell, and the grave. Are you with me this morning? So it's about destinies. Stay with me. You see, for Austin, he couldn't wait for another day. Think about that. How many times has God prompted you to witness to somebody, but you waited for another day? Man, I was going to, I felt the Lord leading me. And then we, we'll talk to somebody. Man, I really felt, and we confessed to one another. I missed an opportunity. I know I should. I felt like the Lord was leading me, but it was just so uncomfortable. Let me know that for Andrew, that was pretty uncomfortable. Let me know that when you look at the cross, that was pretty uncomfortable. But Jesus looked at you and he says, You know what? You're worth this, You're, you are worth dying for. He couldn't wait for another day or for a more convenient time. He had one chance to save one life, even if it meant his own life. Austin is outside, I mean Andrew's outside the plane. Austin's outside the plane, and he's thinking, hey, I have one chance to maybe save one life. And it's right here, right now. I don't have time to pray. I don't have time to think. I don't have time to talk it over. I'm not, I can't call up on somebody on the phone. Hey, what do you think? Here's this opportunity. What do you think I should do? Are you with me? All the things that the enemy tells us when the Holy Spirit's trying to lead us to enter into the flames. Can I tell you sometimes when it comes to witnessing to somebody, there's a fire of persecution that may, you may have to endure? Are we doing alright? Some of the things, the reason we don't witness to people is that we're afraid they won't like us anymore. I went, they're going to get mad at me. Let me put you like this. If you don't witness and they know you, and they go to hell and you go to heaven, how do you think they like you then? Well, thanks for being my friend. I I was so uncomfortable when you tried to witness to me. Bye. Are you with me? Think about this. As a Marine, he had been trained to do just that to respond in the face of adversity for the safety, protection, and welfare of those he had taken an oath to protect. Even though his tour of duty was over, this was instilled and ingrained into his character. This was not an option. This is what you do. This was who he was. Ron Luce, Hannah's father, said this in his statement, he says, I know Austin. He was that kind of a guy. Having served two tours in Iraq, he would give his life for his country and would give his life for a friend. He would go the extra mile. There was a report of Austin it says all five people on board were on their way to Teen Mania, acquire the fire. And all had ties to ORU. The entire ORU community grieves. Hannah, 22, and Austin, 27, both survive. He said this uh, in speaking in a documentary that he did at ORU. Um, he said during a student documentary about his life, he spoke of how strong a f- faith helped him make it through the tough times of his life. He'd had other pains. His his own father, natural father, died when he was 15. But he says, not only these tough times, not only increase my faith in my walk with God, but make it so strong that I will never have to worry again. That was his goal. God, I want to live and I want to have a faith that's so strong that I never have to worry again or hesitate. Amen? I believe that's what God has for each of our lives, that we would just have this strong faith where we would never have to worry or flinch again when these opportunities there. I want you to think about this for a moment. When you go into the military, you go into what's called a boot camp. It's your initial training. And the first thing they do is they tear down everything you know and then retrain you. You go through transformation and renewing of your mind. And they condition you so that when you're in a situation, you don't think you respond. And what we have done with Christianity is we have taken away the boot camp of discipleship. And so we have people who have never been trained or conditioned or renewed or transformed. And so when a situation rises up, they do not know how to respond. And instead of acting reflectively and instinctively, we go through a whole process of questioning and reasoning. In the process, maybe somebody is left in the flames. I don't know about you. I think about it. Maybe you never have these, these, these deep thoughts. Maybe I'm the only one in the room. But I think a lot that I always wonder how many people, I, I believe with all my heart, in the Gospel. And I know I've missed opportunities witness to people. All I can do is pray, God, give them one more chance. But I, I have friends. I, like, like I said, I, I just, we just got an email through a connection to our, our high school class. Another one of the guys I graduated just passed away a few weeks ago. Beginning of May. I have several friends that I graduated with. Come on, I am a young man. and They have passed away. Some of them from... Mac- I, I had one guy, I stood... The year I graduated, that summer I graduated, I stood, and after partying all night, I watched one of my friends who was in a car wreck that morning, stayed up. Him, him and the two Bobs, stayed up all night, and then coming out to where I was living, came around a turn, wrecked their car, rolled it up on the side, and it slid and put a telephone pole right in the windshield and wrapped the car in half around the telephone pole. And I watched the paramedics and the fire people pull the car off the pole, roll it over, and roll. Big Bob Sutherland out. We called him Toady Bob. And lay him on the ground. And he's there in his shorts and a tank top. And just leave him there. He's dead. Dead. Laying at my feet. There's one of my friends. Bob never got a chance to hear the gospel. But you know what? I was raised in church. And I was willingly living in rebellion. And I don't know if I'm accountable in any of those areas. I think about that. Maybe you don't. And I'm just speaking today about greater love. As I'm going back to this. I'm thinking in the reality of where we live and the day and the hour that we live. How many opportunities do we have? I, I think, in, to a degree, if I could put it to you like this, I think every day we're faced with a plane crash and somebody in the flames that needs somebody who will rescue them. Would you agree? Amen. So he was disciplined to respond without having to think, he couldn't be content to be safe knowing that he had left someone behind, perishing in the flames. I just think, Something in him, as a Marine, he had been conditioned. All of our young servicemen, Taylor's been conditioned to respond. If he's in an emergency situation like that, he's not going to think he's going to respond. He's been trained to be that way. You and I need to be trained to be that way. We need to be disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ and be trained to respond. My question is, can we simply live our lives content on going to heaven, having escaped the judgment and fire of hell through God's grace, and allow others to perish in the flames? He chose to possibly die that, he might, that she might possibly live. Listen to me, I'm not saying that we should all run out and risk our lives for another so we can be a good Christian. That's not what I'm saying. I am saying that there is a cause worth living for and even dying for, if need be, and that is a soul. Amen? And and maybe, like with Pastor Francis' book you're reading, maybe just in the next short experience of your life and walking with God, that maybe next time you're in the store, maybe your next time at school, maybe your next time around a friend, you'll think, if I don't reach them, If I don't endure the flames of persecution, the flames of my fear, just just turn those flames into anything that keeps you from saying anything for the Lord Jesus Christ to them. From trying to reach them. Because if they don't, when we say we believe in hell, if they don't hear, they perish. Are you with me? Thank you for the holy hush. Listen to me this morning. So what is the heart of God for the lost? In 2002, the Winter Olympics were held in Salt Lake City. There was a commercial about hockey. It's it's snapshots of people playing hockey, and throughout the commercial, everybody yells, "He shoots! He scores!" The punchline was, "If we shout it loud enough, they'll hear us in Salt Lake City." Think about that. Most of us can get pretty excited about sports or some kind of event, but in Luke 15, if you have your Bibles, turn there with me. In Luke 15 and verse 7, Jesus says this in the, in the three parables about being lost. He says, "I say to you, there likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine just persons who need no repentance." In verse 10, he says, "Likewise, I say to you that there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents." In verse 32, the father says, "It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive, and was lost." And is found. Think about this. We get excited about things, but Jesus declares that there's rejoicing in heaven by the angels over one sinner who repents. I'm just telling you, I have to admit as your pastor, I don't always have this kind of passion over reaching souls for Christ. I don't. And and, and I have great remorse in my heart about that. That I don't have a, a greater passion about reaching the lost, that somehow I could drive by. Today I'm driving up, and after preparing this message, every car in front of me or behind me, I'm going, Father, they need to know You. If they don't know You, I mean, some, suddenly, I'm becoming aware of destinies. Not just people, not just livelihood, but destinies. Are you with me? Praise the Lord. So watch this. Do we dare ask, do we really care about people's salvation as much as God does? Hear me this morning. People matter to God. All people, everywhere. Doesn't matter where they are, what they've done, what they've been. They matter. How many know John three sixteen? How many could quote John three sixteen? Could quote that. Think about that verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever would believe on him would not, would not would not perish, but have everlasting life. If they don't believe, they perish. God loved them so much that He knew there was no way for them to get out. Hannah had no way to get out of the plane. If Austin hadn't gone in, she would have perished in that accident. It had to be somebody outside of her who would put themselves aside to care enough to put themselves in danger to go to where she was to rescue her. Sometimes you and I are the same. And let me just say to you, people say, how do I know the call? You'll know you're called when you can answer that. When you're willing to go where somebody else is that can't help themselves, at an endangerment to yourself and a cost to yourself. To reach them. If you might save them. Think about it. John 3.16 has almost become a throwaway verse for those of us who have grown up or spent a long period of time in the evangelical church. We can all probably quote it, but do we take into consideration the depth of its meaning, the profundity of its action, and the immensity of this love. Think about the love of God that sent His Son from His throne to live in the midst of our human sin and squalor. Not just to live here, but to die here. Listen to me, God loves us. The whole world of us. So much that He sent His Son not to a battlefield where there was a chance of dying, but as a sheep sent to the slaughter with no chance of survival. Jesus didn't come just to teach us how to live right. He came to die in our place. He chose to give His life that we might live. Let me ask you this. I wonder how Hannah feels about Austin. She wrote on there, Austin, save me! Austin, save me! Austin, save me! I wonder if her life will be impacted by the truth that somebody valued her life above his own life and was willing to come back to the flames that he had escaped from that he might somehow, maybe, help her out. And that only because of his benevolent love of grace and mercy and compassion towards her does she even breathe and have life. I wonder if she'll be able to live a life of self seeking after being saved by the self sacrifice of another. I wonder what happens when you and I, as Christians, if we just go, Jesus, save me, Jesus, save me, Jesus, save me, and then we walk away. And live just for ourselves. Like I said, you'll witness that some people say, I'm a Christian. Well, are you living for the Lord? I believe in the Lord. But how are you living for the Lord? How how are you living in response to the fact that somebody said you were worth dying for, and He came and died that you might live? Oh, well, you know, I, I just live for myself. I just take care of myself and I just live for me and I look after my family and I care for me. Well, if He had lived for that, you would still be dead. It's only because He loved you and you were dying for that you have life. Hannah, the rest of her life, every time she's burned over a quarter of her body, but every time she sees her scars, she'll remember these scars remind me that somebody loved me enough to come back in the flames and carry me out. And I live because He died. You live because He died. And the scars of your path should remind you to move and to do something for God. The pain of your path, the scars of where you've been tell you that He came to where you were and there was no way for you to get out on your own. He saved you. God loves the whole world of us. Bill Heibel says this: You've never locked eyes with anyone doesn't matter to the Father. When I look at every one of you, you matter to God. There's something in me. I, 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 you matter to God. Somebody has to tell us the truth. I'm so sick and tired of what I hear preached today. Somebody needs to tell us the truth. To God, every life is a soul. People matter enough to the Lord that He traded His throne for a stable and a cross. That's how much people matter to God. So where does that leave us? Romans 3:23 says, "All of sin comes short of the glory of God. Every one of us. We've all sinned. That's why we have to repent. It takes more than a prayer to be saved. Jesus says, he that repents and is baptized will be saved. Jesus preached a message. of It's to turn around. It's to give up. It's to go another direction. It's to completely deny the old and to live for the new. All of sin. Romans 6.23 tells us then that the wages of sin is death. But Romans 5 says this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When we were in that place that held us in the fire, Christ died for us. Think about it in Jesus' terms. You're there in Luke 15. Look at the first two verses. Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to Him to hear Him. Hear that. All the tax collectors and the sinners came to hear Him. And the Pharisees and the scribes murmured, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. His response to their attitude was the next three parables of what it means to be lost. And the value of a soul to God. The Pharisees were mad because Jesus received and was a friend of sinners. He gives them three parables. A parable of a sheep, a coin, and a son. All were lost and all were found. There are three major themes of restoration that He breaks down for them. Something of great value has gone missing. The missing item was so valuable that it warned it in an all out search. And then it ends with retrievals bringing rejoicing. And that's what the Bible said. Uh, the, the first one talked about the lost sheep. And, and I love the celebrations that we have on Sunday. I, I, lo- I love what God does with us corporately when we gather together. I love church. I love church. That's all I've done since I got saved as church. I'm serious. I have not know anything else. You do life around that, but everything I think about comes back to here. I'm rooted and grounded in Him. In the body of Christ. I live for this. But he says, Heaven rejoices more over one that is found then ninety and nine that are safe. Be with me. If you were to run into the flames for your friend, for your family member, if you were to press through the flame of whatever your fear might be named, to try to reach them and rescue them. Heaven would rejoice more than you remaining faithful your whole life. Amen. How should we live? Now that we know why He lived and died for us, the worship team comes back. Being saved as a result of understanding what Christ, standing all that Christ died for. Excuse me, understanding that Christ died for our sins. Think about it. he was crucified, he was buried, he was raised, and he is seated at the right hand of the Father. Being saved literally means repenting of my sin. Then once I repent of my sin, being baptized into his death, which is why I said either earlier, why are we doing? Uh, a couple years ago, we changed and we used to do water baptisms very sporadically. Now we try to schedule them through a regular basis through our church. Probably do them even more. If you're here today and you've never been baptized, you need to be baptized. We try to make people... Baptism is the public declaration of repentance. It's a declaration that He had to die for my sins. I... Should have died, but he died in my place. Baptism will be the confession of Cantalus. I should have died in the flames, but Austin chose to come in, carry me out, bring me to the place of rescue. And once I was safe, he gave his life. I should have died, but he died that I might live. Water baptism says exactly the same thing. And you can't just bow your head and confess that privately. You can't do that. somewhere in your life, there has to be a public declaration that I live only because he died. And I should have died, but He died for me. So, through baptism, I choose, I choose to die to myself. And when Paul said in Romans chapter 12, I beseech you, I beseech you, I plead with you, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. You know, sometimes a sacrifice, you just give it once and it's dead, and you have to deal with it. But it's a living sacrifice where every day we have to choose to die to ourselves and live to Christ. Paul had to say it like this he says, I die daily. I, this is the daily choice that I make. I have to die because something in me wants to go back to that place of comfort where now that I'm rescued, that somehow I can forget that the only reason I live is because he died. And somehow I get I hear the voice. Hey! Hey, live for now. Live for now. And it becomes so easy that my ears can become dull to the scream. And you may not see it, but next time you're in Starbucks, maybe it'll be, or you're at the store, maybe it'll be like Pastor Francis, just sitting, wait a minute. What's the destinies of these that are around me? Am I just supposed to keep going about my life, immune and unaware? Do I lay it all aside and break out, press through the flames of my fears, that one might be saved? Being baptized and then raised in that new life, becoming a disciple that is willing to live so others might be saved hear me today, you and I may never face the challenge of the choice of having to risk our life to save another, but we are faced with the choice of how we will live after being saved by the sacrifice of another. If you're here today and you confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can only say that because you've accepted His sacrifice on your behalf. You believe that He died so you could live. We're called to live a life of the living sacrifice. For most of us, the greatest challenge we will face is having or finding the courage to sell someone about the love of God proclaimed in John 3.16. Having to face the flames of our fears and move to save a soul. I don't know about you, but I want to live like I've been pulled from the flames at the expense of another. I don't want to live like that. I've been pulled from the flames at the expense of another. Because I have. Scars from my past are proof of the flames that I was in. You talk to somebody and you hear the scars of our yesterdays. They're the very proof That you and I were in the flames and Jesus came and rescued us. And like Hannah, every time she sees that, she'll remember. Somebody loved me, gave his life for me, and I lived because he died. And I would have perished if not for Christ. The worth of a soul. The God is Son. Jesus, you and I, my friend, if I'm a Christian, if you, we call ourselves Christians, then we are under a commission to tell the world about Christ. You're under the commission to enter the flame for somebody to reach someone. As Christians, we have opportunities to reach someone, we're sent to tell them. Jesus said it may cost you something, cost you your life, but if it saves a soul, amen? Austin knew something so that he could go in there, but think, oh, at 27, he's gone. But I guarantee you, Hannah loose will not be silenced. And I guarantee you, more than one life will be saved because of Him. And Jesus said it like this, except the grain of wheat fall to the ground and die, it abides alone. But if you and I could learn to sow our life and maybe make that prize, you're not going to have to die. God's not going to call you to go die and to give up your life. But you do have to die to yourself. You have to get past your, re- your, your reputation, your fear, your pride, whatever it is. Step into that place of the flames telling somebody about Christ. Think about it like this. We're not a big church, but we should be bigger. Because each one of us could reach one. One. It's not about growing a church. It's about destinies just about a destiny. You look around. Just look at it like this. We have a few empty seats this morning. What if each one of those represented somebody who's never heard the Gospel because we were afraid of the flames? What if each one of those represents a life that should have been to heaven but didn't because somebody was afraid of the flames to witness? Pastor, are you challenging us today? No, I'm challenging me today. I want to live like I've been pulled from the flames. That's how I want to live. I have life. I was so lost. I can't even believe God saved me. You bring Him a mess. He embraced it's like, it's like you're on fire and He hugs you. It's, it's like you've, you've set yourself on fire and He comes and embraces you and puts out the fire. He takes the fire to Himself and, and somehow you go away and you're no longer on fire. You're no longer consuming yourself. It gives you life. Bow your heads with me this morning. For a moment. I'm not praying with you to be saved this morning. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, I just invite you to find a place at this altar today and give your life to Christ. To Say yes to Him with all that you are. To repent of your sins. To repent. Be baptized. Be raised in new life. Live for God. Sell out. Make the choice. Live for God.